Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. For many decades, we've been told high cholesterol is a major risk factor for heart disease and stroke. Our next guest stunned the medical community when he released the groundbreaking book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Dr. Oz said this book forever changes what medical doctors have been taught in college about cholesterol. A completely revised and expanded edition of The Great Cholesterol Myth was just released. It challenges us even more regarding everything we thought we knew about HDL, LDL, and its link to heart disease. Dr. Johnny Bowden is in the house. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a nationally known expert on weight loss and nutrition. He has a master's degree in psychology and counseling and a PhD in nutrition. He's board certified by the American College of Nutrition and has earned six national certifications in personal training. He's the author of 12 books and has contributed to more than 50 national magazines and newspapers, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Vanity Fair, Time, Men's Health, and Family Circle. He's a frequent guest on radio and television and He's appeared on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, and CBS, just to name a few. He just released an updated and expanded edition of his mega bestseller book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Welcome to the show, Dr. Johnny Bowden. Well, that's one of the nicest intros I've ever heard. That just made my day. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, it's so great to have you. Yeah, I've been following your work for years. I'm a big fan. Uh, the Great Cholesterol Myth was first released in 2012. Share with us what inspired this updated and expanded version. What ex inspired the new book? Well, first of all, because there's been a ton of research since we started writing that in 2010. It didn't actually come out until 2012. But from 2010 on, this last decade, there has been research study after research study kind of confirming what we were uh, talking about in regards to saturated fat, in regards to fat in general, in regards to the way we measure cholesterol. That stuff has, has now been substantiated a lot. And we wanted to bring people up to date with that research so that we're not as much outliers as we were 10 years ago. I mean, definitely when you talk about the majority of physicians in this country, there's 800,000, 900,000 physicians, about 300 of them are educated in nutrition. So it, we have a lot of work to do. But that said, um, we are not quite as big of an outlier in our position about cholesterol as we were 10 years ago. That's number one. Number two is, David, that when we were, when we wrote that book, we were absolutely sure that the way cholesterol is measured in this country, the HDL LDL test, was wrong and was a mistake. But we weren't 100% sure what we should be looking at. We just knew that wasn't it. Now we do know what we should be looking at. And now we feel that uh, the research that we have uncovered, and let me be clear, this is not original research. Um, we are synthesizers. We just look at where the evidence is and what it shows, and we connect the dots and we make it available for like regular people, not just scientists, so that they can understand this stuff. And when we looked at what research shows that's been hiding in plain sight since 1970, it shows a very clear, uh, it illuminates very clearly that there is a risk factor for heart disease that shows up 10 years 
before your doctor says, oh, Mrs. Jones, you got some high cholesterol there. Let's put you on a statin or before the diabetic signs show up, like your elevated A1C or your elevated glucose. Well, this particular risk factor shows up a decade beforehand and it is completely treatable, reversible or preventable with diet. And it is so important that we get this message out there because this condition that we're going to talk about that we now think is the number one risk factor for all the cardiometabolic diseases, and that includes prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, even type 3 diabetes, which is Alzheimer's disease. We think that this is so important to get out now because the same condition underlines every comorbidity for COVID. So if you have these conditions, and let's go through them again. Everybody hears them on the radio all the time, on the television, when we talk about, well, the most uh, immune, immunocompromised people, the people who are the most at risk, the people who are the most vulnerable. What do they have? Diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, heart disease. These are the things you don't want to have if you happen to contract COVID. And these are the things that can be reversed or changed or prevented or seriously impacted by reversing this condition. And of course, you're going to ask me, what is that condition? So I will now give you the punchline. The condition is insulin resistance. Interesting, yeah. I know we had uh, Dr. Sinatra on the show a few weeks ago and he was co-wrote with you. He's your good friend and co-wrote the great cholesterol myth and he called Mm -hmm. it dinosaur medicine. He said the HDL and the LDL test is is dinosaur medicine. What should people be focused on? Do they go then and say, hey, check my insulin? What what should they be telling their doctors as they hand them well, your first book? Of all, <laughs> terrific. Um, so I, I try I try to condense. There's a lot of science in the book, and there's a lot of references in the book, and they're there for people who want them. But I wanted to make this. Uh, 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 something that's easily communicated to the people who sit at my family dinner table, for example, and they don't have all this science and they just want to know what the heck is going on with cholesterol. Why do you tell us that that's not important? And I want to be clear on what I am actually saying, because we're not saying cholesterol is not important. We're saying that the measurement of cholesterol is dinosaur medicine. And I'll give you an example that everyone can understand. So here in California, we have very strict emissions requirements on our cars. It's it's one of the stricter states. And you have to go in and get a smog check every so often. I'm sure this is true across the country, but I know in my state it's particularly true, and they're very stringent about it. So let's say you go to the garage, and they have specific places that are set up for smog checks, and you have to get a certificate, and you don't pass. Your car doesn't pass, so they say – Doc Friedman, you know, uh, you got to get some repairs done on this because it's not going to pass and you're not going to be able to get a registration. $1,750 worth of repairs. And you go, holy moly. Well, I guess if I got to get it, I care about the environment. I want my car to get registered. I guess I'll spend the money. Now, what if you found out that the machine was broken? That the the results they gave you, you might as well have just rolled a roulette wheel that this machine wasn't calibrated since 1963, that it doesn't even have factored into the algorithm the toxins that have been released in the environment that it's supposed to be checking for. <laughs> it hasn't added a toxin to that, wi- to that list since the 1960s. <laughs> and none of them are being detected. So there are two things that can happen here. You could be taking your car in for a checkup, and it could be that it is perfect. It's not emitting anything, but the 
emissions test says that you're a toxic waste dump because the emissions test machine's broken. So now you've got that $1,750 repair that you never had to have. And conversely, you might be passing that test with flying colors, but your car is actually a toxic waste dump. The machine just never picked it up (laughs) because the machine is broken. And that is what the HDL LDL test is. It's a broken machine and it's not saying, we're not saying emissions don't matter. We're saying you got to measure them correctly or else you're spending a lot of money on something you don't need to spend on. And in the case of cholesterol, you're going on a lot of medications that you may not need to go on. Right. Well said. Great, great example. I love that. One thing I want to, I want to bring up for those that haven't read the book, the big shocker, at least for me when I was reading it, is how uh, you shared how people with high cholesterol are not more susceptible to dying of heart disease. And in fact, many even outlive people with lower cholesterol levels. Tell us how that's possible. Well, it's possible because, because the paradigm is, is wrong. And, 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 um, you know, it's it's like uh, you and I probably both learned this in school, uh, the French paradox. The French paradox, for people who don't know it, is that in France, up before before McDonald's and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all of those places took over the world and they're in every city from Beijing to Paris, when, when French people ate the French diet, they ate a lot of saturated fat and they had very, very low heart disease. And everybody said, how is this possible? It's possible if saturated fat doesn't cause heart disease. It's not possible if your unbendable principle is that saturated fat causes heart disease. So how can it be possible? It's got to be a paradox. These people eat all this cheese and all this foie gras and all this stuff, and they're eating all this fat. They're not having heart disease. It's impossible, but it's only impossible if you buy the paradigm. So how is it possible that people have high cholesterol measured incorrectly and live longer? Well, their paradigm's wrong. You're measuring it wrong. And here's, here's what the literature does show very clearly. You're probably talking about the Framingham study that we mentioned, in which the people who lived the longest and the healthiest had the highest cholesterol. Measured in the old-fashioned way, granted, but nonetheless, that is true. You're also probably talking about some studies we quoted, again, using the old-fashioned way, but that's all we had at the time, of hospital admissions for cardiovascular disease. And guess what? Over 50, in some studies, up to 70% of the people admitted to American hospitals for cardiovascular events or problems have normal cholesterol. Cholesterol just doesn't predict it that well. It's just a lousy predictor of, of final endpoints. And cholesterol, as measured in the 1963 version of the test, really predicts nothing. It's really a bad predictor. That doesn't mean that if you use some modern technologies and you looked at cholesterol the way we're able to look at it now, that you wouldn't get valuable information. But when people tell me, oh, my dog says my cholesterol is high, I stop the conversation according to what test I ask. They go, oh, you know, my HDL and my LDL. I said, stop the conversation, (laughs) man. You're You're getting tested with a broken machine. Go back and get the NMR particle test, and then we'll talk about your risk. Wow. I know everybody hears so many negative things about cholesterol, but your book shares how we need cholesterol. It's actually important to our survival. Share with the listeners why cholesterol really isn't this villain that we've been led to believe. Oh, dear God, I love to do this. I usually do, when I do lectures, I do a visual demonstration. You know how you've seen those TV ads that say, they show an egg and they say, this is your, this is your brain on drugs right. and scramble the egg. Yeah. I, I usually show a big balloon and I say, these are your cells. And then I poke a, a pin in it and the balloon collapses. And I say, that's your cell without cholesterol. 
Wow. Cholesterol is needed for every membrane in every cell. It's needed for thinking, for memory, for thought. It's needed for the immune system. And we have demonized this molecule. It's basically a lab test because of some association studies that went back to the 60s when uh, some, re- some very determined researchers had a hypothesis that uh, people got less heart disease if they ate less fat, and they used some uh, observational studies to back that up. And we have been on that long track ever since. And it's not that, as I say, we in 19, before 1960, I am actually old enough to have been born before 1960. Uh Um, They used to have something called health fairs. And you go to a health fair and they'd have booths. And one of the booths was they're trying to educate you about basic things about exercise and health and eating well and all of that. And they they would have a a, a doctor in in a booth and they would take a little fingerprint and they would tell you your cholesterol. People were just learning what cholesterol was back then. And they'd say, oh, Mrs. Jones, your cholesterol is 240. Well, it's not too high. It's pretty good. That used to be the standard. They keep lowering it. But 240 was at one point the American Heart Association standard for healthy cholesterol. Or they'd say, oh, it's a little uh, lower. It's a little high. But they, they would measure total cholesterol. Around the 60s, scientists looked under the microscope and said, you know, we actually, cholesterol actually travels in the blood in two different kinds of containers. They're actually a little bit different. They have different densities. And remember, those HDLs and LDLs, that L stands for something called lipoprotein, which is very good if everybody just thinks of that as the boat and cholesterol as the cargo. So these boats contain uh, different densities. If you put them in water, the high density ones would float to the bottom, would go to the bottom, and the low density ones uh, were lighter so that they would float to the top. And so they named these two containers HDL, high density lipoprotein, and low density lipoprotein. And guess what? That was a big improvement over total cholesterol because HDL and LDL, generally speaking, do act somewhat differently in the body. One, one transports it, one takes it to the liver. So we had a, a distinction that was actually an improvement. So I, I liken that back to cell phones. If you remember in the 80s, the first people had satellite phones. They were the size of a Buick. You'd see them walking in New York, holding them up on their shoulder because they were so big. And then we got the flip phone. Man, was that an improvement. Well, the flip phone was like the HDL-LDL test, a big improvement over that clunky total cholesterol test. But would you still use a flip phone in the day of the Galaxy 8 (laughs) or the iPhone 12 Max? And that's what we're doing. It's a friggin' flip phone, the HDL, LDL. We now know that there are, there have, scientists have observed 13 different subtypes of cholesterol. We can now look at cholesterol, or rather lipoproteins, with nuclear magnetic resonance. It didn't exist in 1963. So we can now look under the hood and see what's really going on, and yet doctors are insisting on using the flip phone, which is not giving us the valuable information we need about what's going on in our blood. That's what I can see patients now telling the doctor, stop using the flip phone on my health care. And the doctor, what are you talking about? <laughs> Here comes. Well, the- <laughs> here's what I tell them to do. I, I, I tell them to go back to because I don't want them to fight with their doctor. Right. I mean, that, it, that never ends well. And doctors can be very authoritarian, as I'm sure you've, yeah. you've met a few yourself yes. like that. And, and very unbending about their ways. And this is something that, you know, they've been doing for 40 years and it's worked for 40 years. Why not stick with it? And, it's, and the drug companies continue to tell them that it's just fine. Just use the old test. 
But meanwhile, these new tests have been available for over 10 years. I think it's up to 15 or 20. And they're now available from the biggest labs in the country. Quest Labs has it. LabCorp has it. There is no reason to continue to use the old test. Now, my argument is this. If you were just using the old test and storing that data and not doing anything with it, sure, use the old the old-fashioned test. But doctors are prescribing statin drugs based on that test. That's like you getting that $1,750 uh, bill for fixing your car when it was measured with a broken admissions machine. You should never take a statin drug based on that test. I'm not saying never take a statin drug. I think that there are better ways, and Dr. Sinatra uses them very infrequently. But yes, let's let's concede that there's a place for statin drugs in treatment. But don't you want to know whether you really need one or not? That's my question. To exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Talk to us. Talk to us about about foods. I want to break because you, you talked about the LDL issue. We have this conce- you know perceived uh, negativity. What about foods that we've been told cause bad cholesterol levels to spike? Like you know steak, French fries, and potato chips. Are they no longer a concern? Well, as as I'm sure you've interviewed many people who have come on board and talked about the joys of keto and the higher fat diets and the carnivore diets. There's certainly is a shift away from high carb, low fat diets. You have to remember, well, not you, but everyone in the world has to remember that the only reason we as consumers were ever told to reduce fat was because of its perceived effect on LDL cholesterol. In the old days, when that's all we could measure and we didn't know the size of the particles, we didn't know the shape of the particles, we didn't know the number of the particles, we just knew LDL cholesterol. In those days, yeah it raised LDL cholesterol. And, 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 and it may still, if you measure it that way. The question is, do we care? Because if LDL cholesterol, as currently measured, does not cause heart disease, then why do we care about eating fat? Then the dietary guidelines that have been jammed down our throats since the early days of the food pyramid, they collapse like a house of cards because there is no reason anymore to reduce fat. And, and when you ask, is steak and, you know, palm oil and, and your coconut oil and all these and olive oil, all these fats, are they bad or good? My answer is always, are they toxic or not toxic? Not whether they're saturated or not, not whether they're animal or vegetable based, but simply are they toxic? Here's an example of how you make a vegetable oil toxic. You, you get McDonald's or any fast food restaurant to replace their saturated fat and lard with canola oil. Well, that's great. Now you fry stuff up in this omega-3 and omega-6, this polyunsaturated fat, which creates all kinds of carcinogens and, and other you know, heterocyclic amines, all these things you don't want in your body. And then you let the oil cool off. And then the next day you heat it up and you change it once a week. Well, that's a toxic waste dump. And yes, it was an unsaturated fat. You would have been better off frying in lard, which doesn't uh, transform into all these toxic things. So it isn't really about whether or not it's saturated or not. It's whether or not it's toxic. And when you get your saturated fats from non-toxic sources, by which I mean animals that have been humanely raised on pasture, not fed antibiotics and steroids and, and, hum- and the bovine growth hormone and all the rest of the stuff, and when the fats come from that or from, say, palm oil or coconut oil or any non-toxic source, you have nothing to fear from saturated fat. 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Everything to steer from toxic fat. Right. And you bring up, you know, the, the different opposing views. You know, I've, I've interviewed them from keto, paleo to vegan, but they all tend to agree right. on one thing, Doc. They agree sugar is the major cause of inflammation, which has been linked to disease. So instead of worrying about so much about the hamburger, do you think a bigger culprit for heart disease is the sweet tea or soda people wash down that burger with? 100%. 100%. And even Andrew Weil, who is not known for being a wild-eyed radical in the integrative health community, he's pretty conservative. Even Andrew Weil, a couple of years ago, said, you know what? I think the worst thing in a burger from McDonald's is the bread, not the meat. Now, here's my, here's, here's, you brought up sugar, and, and I know I only have a few minutes, but here's the message that's so important. The thing I mentioned earlier, the condition that underlines all these things, the thing that we, we should look at, you know, because, and I know it's a, it's, a, it's a tall order to get people to start looking at a test they never even heard of, but insulin resistance is basically what happens when your body can't handle the carbohydrate load you're giving it. And it's variable for different people. Some people can handle 100 grams a day. Other people can handle two grams a day. So it's going to be very different. But when your body cannot process that amount of sugar and starch, it be, the cells become resistant to the effects of insulin. And that is the beginning of prediabetes. And in our book, we show that prediabetes is diabetes. It just hasn't been diagnosed yet. And diabetes, guess what, is pre-heart disease. 80% of diabetics die from heart disease. So diabetes is like pre-heart disease and then pre-heart disease is heart disease. They're one long continuum and they start with sugar intolerance. They start with insulin resistance, which is basically sugar intolerance. So the element in our diets that we should be concentrating on, yes, are the sugars and the starches because guess what raises insulin the most? Carbohydrates, especially processed ones. Second on the list, Protein raises it a little bit, but nothing like what carbs do. Guess what doesn't even move the needle on blood sugar and insulin? Fat. So what is the point of recommending low-fat diets for diabetics or people who want to prevent heart disease? It's just, it's not only counterintuitive, it just doesn't make sense scientifically. You're trying to control blood sugar and insulin, and you're feeding people the one thing that actually drives those things up. Wow. Yeah, good point. I know you're known as the the nutrition myth buster, and I'm curious, what's your view on coffee? I've got so many conflicting guests on Java. Healthy one day, prevents disease. Oh, no, it causes disease. Are you a morning Java fan? Well, you know what? That was a brilliant question. I couldn't have picked a better question to illustrate the point of of. of how information continues to grow and why we're stuck in these 1960 models of cholesterol. So coffee, for years, they all debated it. From the time I started nutrition in 1990, 30 years ago, coffee's bad, it raises blood sugar, coffee's good, it's got antioxidants, and you go back and forth forever. Guess what? A few years ago, they found a gene. It's called the CYP, oh God, 1A, the CYP1A gene. And it has to do with, this, with how quickly you metabolize coffee. Well, guess what? For the people who metabolize it quickly, it's a health food. For the people who metabolize it slowly, it is going to keep you up at night and it is going to create some jitters. So yes, coffee, it's not that coffee is good or bad. It's you've got to match the thing to the individual. We didn't know about that gene 10 or 15 years ago. We didn't know about the 13 kinds of cholesterol either. So do you want to be stuck in that stupid argument in the past about is coffee good or bad? Hey, it's good for some people who are genetically adapted to it and it's not good for other people it's a continuum 
And we need to apply that same modern technology to testing for cholesterol and heart disease. The old HDL LDL test is obsolete. It needs to be retired. Yeah, I know the Tyrannosaurus Rex doctors say coffee's still bad and causes cancer. I remember for 10 years we were told that. <laughs> so, <laughs> dinosaurs. Yeah, you really can't practice medicine or nutrition in sound bites. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't formulate your theories of nutrition and medicine on what will fit into, uh, into a tweet. These things are rarely, except for like French fries, donuts, and sodas. There's really no foods that are all bad. You know, some they're good for some people. They're not good for others. They're, they create reactions in some people. They don't create them in others. Dairy is a perfect example. I live on dairy. And dairy is an allergenic food. That You know, when I started clients out on, on kind of vocation diets, dairy is the first thing you take out because there's so many people who have allergic or, or, or intolerances to fats and things in dairy. I don't. And I do nothing but raw dairy. So it's all, you know, grass-fed and pasture-raised and all of that stuff. And it goes very well with me. But you've got to always respect that individual reaction, whether it be to a food, a drug, or a nutrient. Fantastic. Wow, we got 30 seconds left. Anything you want to oh, share God. that we did? didn't get to cover we got 30 seconds anything you want to share we didn't get to no i I just if you if you're having trouble with this and you have a conventional doctor who's insisting on prescribing a drug based on this old test please give them my book show them the references and if they still refuse to even modify the test they're going to give you maybe you should take a second opinion Wow, fantastic. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you shared some great info. I love your energy. You're just, I, I love that. You can, Thank uh, you. Highly recommend everybody get a copy of this great cholesterol myth book. It's great. I own two copies of the first one, and I love the newly, oh, and, so and the expanded version's even better. So go out and get your copy. To learn more about Johnny, Thank you. Yeah, great. To learn more about Johnny Bowden or to get that copy of the great cholesterol myth, go to johnnybowden.com. And his first name is spelled J-O-N. N-N-Y. And while there, be sure and check out all the resources available, including blog posts, articles, healthy eating, and exercise tips that will improve your life. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Johnny Bowden. And for my daily social media post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. I'm on Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, co-workers, and on social media. This information is too important. Don't keep it to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.